Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, guys, this episode is going to be easily one of the most touching episodes you have ever heard. We have back on the show Michael Tamura, and Michael is going to be talking about a pre-death experience, essentially how to prepare to transition to the other side. Michael has been diagnosed with a life-ending disease, and he is fighting it, but wanted to come on the show to share his experience with the Next Level Soul audience. This is a profound, profound conversation, and it is one of the most touching conversations I've ever had in my life, and I was honored that Michael wanted to have that conversation with me. He is walking into this pre-death experience with laughter, without fear, with love, and his tips and advice on how to do what he is doing for people around the world is remarkable to say the least. So without any further ado, let's dive in. I'd like to welcome back to the show, returning champion, Michael Tamura. How you doing, Michael? <laughs> ah, thank you for having me on your show again. It's nice to be back, literally. <laughs> literally. It's, you know, we're going to tell the audience what's what's been going on because you and I scheduled this months ago because it takes a few yes. months to get on the show now because <laughs> it's been gotten so busy. So we booked really a, a long time ahead. And I think a week or two ago, you sent me an email saying, Alex, um, uh, I, I didn't have a near-death experience. I had a fresh death experience. <laughs> and uh, so can you talk a little bit about, you know, just a little bit about what, before we get into your old, you know. Old near-death experience. Old near-death experiences. <laughs> Apparently you needed to do a fresh one, kind of, to, you know, have an exclusive on the show. I don't know. Uh, yes. But you had another experience as well, which we'll get deeper into later on. But if you want to just touch upon what happened to you, and then we'll go into the old dear net experiences, and yes. then we'll go deeper into this one. So uh, I'll, I'll give the, you the cliff notes uh, of my latest uh, adventure. Uh, I started off this year with a tremendous bang. 2023, I, I was predicting this last year that 2023 for everyone is going to be a huge, intense year mm. in many different ways. But anyway, um, three days into January, uh, on January 3rd, I was going down fast. I mean, I knew I was like knocking on death's door. So this was not a near-death experience. It was pre-dying, ex you know, dying experience. And it got so bad that 
my wife, Raphael said, you know, you better call your doc and get a blood test or something. You got to find out. So I, I go to the doc and, and she orders this regular blood test. And she's like, oh my God, this can't be right. <laughs> and, and, um, uh, so then she asks us to go to a different blood lab and get the same test at a completely different place because she couldn't believe the results that came back. She, she didn't even want to say it. Mm -hmm. And then she got the results right away and she calls and says to Raphael, she goes, you have to take him to the ER right now. Okay. Made it to the ER. It's jam-packed in the waiting room. <laughs> and uh, so we wait a couple hours, but we get called, get ushered into the one of the exam rooms. Doctor sees me and he runs a few tests. Nobody's telling me anything. Hmm. <laughs> Next thing, uh, he orders two huge sacks of blood <laughs> transfusion. Wow. And normally, you know, it's yeah, like about are, this big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This one's each one is like a industrial size. Costco size. Yeah. I was there at in the ER all night getting these two big blood transfusions. It took about six hours. And anything, any news, what's what's going on? But I, during that time, I had a lot of time sitting there to to look at things and I realized. You know, I think I was right. I'm in the process of dying, not like the other near-death experiences, because those, I didn't know I was going to die. I just died and then came back. People told me about it <laughs> on this side. Uh, this time, I'm looking at, oh, yeah, this is an entirely different experience. And at that point, I felt like I had maybe a few days up to maybe a couple of weeks if if something drastic didn't happen uh, i was that close but they're giving me these blood transfusions and i can tell i have a little more energy this kind of stuff and and um but i was preparing you know i, I was going okay i got to really look at this and see where i'm at with everything well long story short because we'll we'll get into this later uh the next morning the doctor comes in and says well uh we're gonna send you to downtown sacramento next city over to the their bigger hospital because they have much better facilities and and they have the kinds of doctors and everybody that that can treat you uh we we don't want to admit you here because you definitely need to be admitted <laughs> And I said, what's, what do I have? He says, well, we don't know. That's what you're going to go find out. And we'll leave it, that, we'll stop it there. Okay. And then as, as a cliffhanger, <laughs> everybody come back and listen to it all the way to the end to find out what happens <laughs> to Michael at the end of this conversation. But so let's go back because last time we were on, you we were talking about your psychic abilities, um, your, your the phenomenon that you're able to do and things like that but I didn't realize you had had near-death experiences at the time. So I, I, when I found that out, it just passed along in my feed one day. I was like, 
wait a minute, Michael had near-death experiences? We never even mentioned that before. I have to have him back just to talk about the near-death experiences. So can you first tell me what was your life like before you had your first near-death experience? Um, that's the stuff we kind of talked about a little bit. In the yeah. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, um, I've had a incredible life. I've always felt like I've had, uh, like a charmed life in my, from childhood all the way till today. But, uh, uh, the first three astrologers that ever cast my birth chart, they were like doctors trying to give you the bad prognosis. <laughs> Or diagnosis, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like really serious, and and each one started off their their talk to me with, "Well, I'm sorry," <laughs> <laughs> and they said, "You have had a very hard life," and I'm going, "You you must be kidding. You it must be a you mixed up somebody else's chart." Because I feel I, I've been the lucky one. I, I've had a blessed life and, and charmed life, if anything. And they go, oh, but it's it's been tough. And it's going to continue to be tough. And this is in my 20s. Oh, good <laughs> Lord. <laughs> so, so they were saying, you have a long, hard life to look forward to. And I go, what are they talking about? It wasn't until... I was with Raphael and 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 she's much more of an astrologer. I don't know anything about astrology. But she said to me, oh yeah, well, it's true. Because by then, uh, I've had at least a couple of my uh, near-death experiences and everything. She says, just even recently, uh, most people don't die suddenly and then come back and have to get back to life again. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I said, oh, well, I learned a lot. (laughs) I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it in for anything. It's, it was a great experience. She says, well, that's the difference. Most people would think it's a hard life. And then all the things you've been through in your life, any one of them, a person would, normal person, would consider it to be <laughs> very difficult. And uh, I thought, really? And I, he, she says, yeah, there's not, not everybody is like you where you have these challenges, but to you, they're kind of fun. <laughs> it's like an adventure and it's your learning and, and it, it helps you get places. Mm. I said, yeah, that's true. That's definitely how I look at things. All right. So, so what happened? So what happened with your, what happened leading up to the first near-death experience? And how old were you? Uh, I was, it was 2004 was my first near-death experience. Uh, a little bit before my birthday. So it would have been, 2003 would have been my, 50th birthday okay. yeah okay. 53 i was born in so yeah 2003 would have been uh my 50th uh, 2004 would have been my 50th birthday shortly before that uh i had a severe severe form of gout do you know mm. what a gout is oh, yeah. it's excruciating i wouldn't my only thing i can say to people was i wouldn't I wouldn't wish that pain 
on my worst enemy or the worst criminal in the universe or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it was just, I had, I had a pretty high pain threshold, but that did me in. It literally, <laughs> it got so bad. I had what's called later on, I found out traveling gout and it went all over my body. Oh, Jesus. Not just in one little joint, like most people get it. And here's the funny part. Um, I was a vegetarian Mm. and I didn't drink alcohol. I didn't smoke. I didn't eat, you know, fatty meats and all those kind of things. I I've been always leading a very healthy, healthy life as far as that part. And, um, the, the, at the time it's like everything about gout was, Oh, usually middle-aged, uh, men who's overweight drinks a lot of red wine and other alcohol, uh, eats prodigious quantities of beef, fatty meats, and, you know, things like that. And for me, it was like, I didn't do any of this. (laughs) Yet I had this one that's traveling out everywhere, down into the very, like the sutures of the skull. Yeah, that was excruciating. I mean, everything in my... I think something was going on even with my, the little bones in the inner ear. So it was just beyond painful. And it's like there were these uh, platoons of, of warriors inside my joints and everywhere else with shards of glass uh, weapons just chopping away at it all at the same time so i couldn't get into any kind of a position you know nothing relieved any of it so it's either standing lying down sitting nothing nothing worked nothing helped and so Raphael went had to go to town to get something and while she was gone i'm kind of curled up in the um, on my bed and i'm just going i, I don't know if i could make it it's just, it's, I don't know how much longer, and this has been going on for a while. So I finally go, hey, God, I really don't know how much longer I can handle this. And instantly, instantly, I'm literally escorted out of my body and transported to this place that I I kind of compared to the a super high-end board meeting room. You know, those nice boards, yeah, long wooden table, very polished and very nice, rich kind of an environment. And I'm greeted by five great, magnificent beings, all sitting around this front one part of the table. And, uh, the person, the being that escorted me to that place sat at the end of their little U-shaped kind of thing. And there's an empty seat right at the corner next to the head of the of the table. And they're all welcoming me. And I mean, it was just this like a total homecoming, welcome home. And I'm going, whoa, these are some magnificent 
enlightened beings. And um, I knew, I knew them from working on a spiritual level. And um, they all said, well, you're done. You, you've accomplished far more than you've contracted for, for this lifetime. So you're completely done. You have a choice. You could stay with us here and continue your spiritual work from this side. Or if you'd like to, you can go back to the body and, you know, continue your work there. I was completely neutral. I had no desire one way or the other. I had no, you know, whatever. It's just like, eh, whatever, what literally, like, eh. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got this brilliant idea. And it's very dangerous when I, whenever I have a brilliant idea. Me too, my friend. Me too. I completely feel. My wife says the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, he's got a brilliant idea. And uh, so I, I'm looking at these five magnificent beings, and I'm going, "Wow!" I said, "Well, in your wisdom, what would you say would be the best decision for me to make? Is what would." be of greatest benefit, not just for myself, but for anyone involved in my life or involved in some way for me to stay here with you guys and continue or go back. And instantly they all together, they said, if you go back, you'll be of so much more benefit than if you stay here. <laughs> I said, okay, that's all I needed to hear. Send me back. And they said, fine. And so the same being that escorted me to that meeting, escorted me back to my body. When I came back, it's just like, <gasps> I'm gasping and all that. And I'm just going, whoa. Oh, but before, when when I was turning around, out going out of this meeting space, I thought, oh, until then, you know, when you're in spirit, the body doesn't mean a thing. It's... There's no time, there's there's no bodies, there's no world. It's, it's just like, I'm just there in, in beingness. But the minute I start to put my attention back to returning to the earth, returning to the body, oh yeah, minor detail. <laughs> I have this body with enormous pain, excruciating pain that won't go away for weeks. And um, so I turn around before I'm, being escorted completely out, I said, you know, if I'm going to be of any benefit to anyone, even to myself, I'm going to need some help in healing so that I won't have to be in that excruciating pain all the time. And they're very, they're very uh, economical with their words. <laughs> it's like, fine. <laughs> that's I, the last thing i heard them say fine and i'm being escorted back to my body but when i once i got into my body the same voice that i heard say fine came into my ear and said you know go to your computer and look up uric acid and i said oh i've i could practically have a phd in uric acid <laughs> i've looked at i researched everything online i could possibly find talked to doctors i talked to healers i talked to everybody 
They said, just go do it. Okay. I go do it, turn on the computer and look at it. And, you know, I put the search word in there and all the same stuff I've already read a hundred times pops up. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Then something's flashing on this side, you know, where the advertisements are. Mm -hmm. And I see at the top of it, oh, it says gout cure. And it was a new ad. I'd never seen it before. So I click onto it, go to the site. And the company was so new at the time. The founder, there's a little blurb of his story, which was, I thought, God, sounds as bad as mine. And, uh, but he somehow found the solution. It's all natural. So then I uh, click onto that and to read some more. And then there's at the bottom, he says, yeah, if you have a question, uh, send me an email. So I immediately write a, like a three page email about what's been going on and what I've done and nothing's worked. He answers me in like less than 15 minutes. (laughs) which was unheard of, you know, Mm -hmm. on online something. So then um, I, I said, okay, here it is. And, and, and he goes, Oh, one of the things I mentioned was nothing worked and it's, it's related to what I eat. So I was down to even iceberg lettuce with nothing on it made it worse. That's unheard of in any of the literature, right? So I decided I got the another brilliant idea of, uh, oh, I'll go on a water fast. I like fasting. He wrote back immediately saying, get off your fast right now. It would be better for you to eat half a cow and drink a, a gallon of wine right now for your for the uh, gout than, than to do a water fast. And he explained it. He says, well, uric acid comes from the breakdown of purines. And and, and uh, this is what happens when you eat, you know, really rich, purine-rich mm-hmm. foods. Mm-hmm. But it even happens more when your muscles break down from fasting. You know, when you don't have enough calories, it yeah, starts so to take it out of Cannibalizing your, your system. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, it gets in, it just floods your blood with, with that. So you got, so you, you ordered this and it obviously cured you. It didn't cure me, uh-huh. but it, it started to alleviate, mm-hmm. uh, but it still took a few weeks, but it started to alleviate it. And then at that point, I, uh, went to one of my advanced students who happened to be a, a incredible medical doctor. And an um, osteopathic doctor, and specialized in nutrition therapy. So I went mm-hmm. to her and I consulted, and she said, "Oh my God!" And she got my blood test. And she said, oh, you know. So she gave me all these supplements, and um, slowly, little by little, I just start to to not get the acute stuff. So, so let me ask you, when you came back from this near-death experience, I mean, you have already been very spiritual. You had already yes, been- all my life. 
all your life. So the, the, you, even the way you were talking about it, you're just like, eh, like it wasn't even a big deal to you. You're like, oh, it's a being, it's a council of elders is basically what that sounded yes. like to me. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a council of elders. Great. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I don't really care either way. What did you tell me? It was like very like, because most near-death experiences like, oh my God, I saw Jesus. I saw, I saw this, my spirit guide. This is so amazing. And you were just like, hey guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> essentially because of, because essentially, of, what, yes. of, of your work and what you do. So that's very unique. I don't hear that very often. <laughs> Usually near-death experiences, when it happens, it's the either the first time yes, yeah. that a spiritual awakening happens. Mm -hmm. uh, but you had already been awakened prior to this. So you were just like, oh, this is just part of my journey. Yes. Great. So yeah. you came back. Um, it didn't, it, it seemed like you just came back and you healed yourself, took you a little while to heal yourself. And then you're back on the road doing your work and doing everything you did. What was the second near-death experience like? Yeah. Oh, just one of the things, even mm -hmm. though the healing part took a while, this that first near-death experience happened like on a Wednesday. Mm -hmm. The only day I had in between finishing up teaching a three-day retreat in our house mm -hmm. to about mm, 40 to 50 people. Mm-hmm healing on healing and the next weekend friday saturday sunday where our preparations have to start on on wednesday to get everything done because we fed them and everything so uh, that was the only day i had <laughs> oh. to have a near-death experience yeah because we didn't cancel anything at that yes. time it's just like okay i'm back yes. so i can continue to teach so it's, you scheduled your near-death experience almost. Yeah, you have to schedule your near-death experience at a convenient time. I've got things to do. Yeah. I've got schedules. I don't have time for this MBE stuff. If you look, I can only I have Wednesday. Wednesday's the only day I really could do this, guys. You yes. want to meet with me up in in heaven and talk about <laughs> my spiritual journey? I could do Wednesday. Can't do Tuesday or Thursday. It has to be Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny as hell. <laughs> yeah, now that you mention it that way, it's it is hilarious. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so now you've come okay. back. You continue your work. Uh, what was your second near-death experience like? Second near-death experience. Well, when I came back from the first one, I was told in no uncertain terms, your slate is cleared. The deck is clear. You don't have any obligations. You don't have to honor any past commitments. You're done with all that. You can, you're in for a, this is a brand new contract. Right? And so it was literally like being fully reborn, except into the same body instead of a baby body. But I told them, yeah, I, but I do have some prior commitments. I, I want to fulfill them, you know, because most people won't understand that. And um, they said, well, it's your call. You, you call the shots. Mm -hmm. And so, but we're just letting you know, this is what you have to do. You don't have to do any of that stuff. And I said, yeah, let me, let me finish up our commitments. It took me exactly two whole years <laughs> to finish all the past commitments to my satisfaction. And um, I remember the day that happened, I said, ha, ah, I'm done with the old stuff. I can move on to a new level, which I have to create. 
And that's one of my favorite parts of life is creating the new stuff. So I was very much looking forward to it. And I said, oh, yeah, I, I think I even told Raphael, yep, I'm done with the old. Now it's going to be a whole new space. I can start on that. The next day, I had a heart, my first heart attack. <laughs> and my second near-death experience. Yeah, they have, they have a sense of humor. They really do, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, they go, okay, finally, we've been waiting for him. Now, you know. Uh, well, let me let me ask you as a vegetarian though how what kind of heart attacks do you have I mean this doesn't make sense I mean yeah I mean unless you're just loading up on cheese and milks and nope. eggs and, you at know. that time when when I had my first heart attack I was a vegan vegetarian right so you had no so then you were no dairy products no so how is no it even possible to even have a anything? heart is it is it is it is it something that was uh that you were genetically no, this is this has been my medical part of my life. <laughs> right. From the time as a kid, I get taken to doctors and they poke and prod and and give me this you, type of medication. Nothing ever fit anything. You're you so you're not you're an oddity when it comes yeah, to yes. the body. Unfortunately, this is yes. Because for everyone listening, if you have a you're a vegan vegetarian, heart attacks are generally not top of the list heart disease is that you might have other things but yeah. that's not one of them Gen yes. so that's why i'm so curious about it okay so you have a heart attack yeah <laughs> so what. and and the heart attack comes from uh in retrospect i gave a talk at this three-day conference on the sunday morning mm -hmm. that night we get invited by a friend of ours who has a healing center a healer in the next uh, next state over above but it's only like an hour and a half drive to his place from our where we lived at that time in northern california we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show and um it was a birthday party for another spiritual teacher and author who I didn't know at the time, but I thought, okay, hey, you know, some something different to do, and and then we'll see some of our friends and stuff. Okay, we went. It was a good party and everything, great people. And when the time to the can, what do you call it, the birthday cake with the candles, mm -hmm. and they breading off for this man, and everybody's singing, we're all singing, and. Wish him happy birthday. He blows out the candles and everything. And next, they started all over again. Here's another person coming with a cake with, you know, a forest fire of, of candles on it. And uh, <clears throat> and then I start to notice they're coming. She's coming to me with the cake. And somebody says, yeah, we just found out an hour ago that your birthday is three days from today. I said, yeah, That's sweet. it is. And, and so we decided we have to include you too. So we got another cake. Okay. She brings it over and uh, she goes, oh, wait a minute. You can't blow on it. You have to close your eyes and make your wish. Right? I said, oh, yeah. Okay. So I close my eyes and I'm going. Complete blank, right? 
wish. What do I wish? And um, uh, there's really nothing I could think of to wish until my mind is completely blank and totally still. I can't hear anybody or anything. It's just quiet. Then in the middle of, of it, there's this golden glow that just starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I can tell, oh, yeah, that's the Christ energy. And then I thought, oh, that would be a good wish. A good, great birthday wish would be, yes, I would like to embody the Christ more. So I made that wish, opened my eyes, and she goes, okay, now blow out the candle. Blow out the candles. Everybody starts singing. All celebration. I thought that was that. Meanwhile, Raphael was talking to the host a distance away from me. And she didn't tell me this until I came back after I came back from my second near-death experience (laughs) and the hospital and everything else. And she said, the entire time leading up to my birthday candle blowing out and everything, they were talking about the healer friend of ours had a near-death experience or almost death experience. Not a, He didn't die, but he had a heart attack. And he locked himself up in the his sanctuary, determined to heal himself on his own rather than go to the hospital because he was anti-medical you know, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So, and he did. And he was seemingly fine. And Raphael's going, why is he telling me all this in minute detail? And then when I was blowing out the candle, she said, you close your eyes. And obviously you were looking at what you're going to wish. And she says, I saw you leaving. I saw you leaving this earth. And she goes, she said, I didn't want to see that. He says, whatever you wish for, I see you leaving. So she didn't tell me any of that until we much, much later. And um, so after this experience, we go home. Everything's great. I feel great. I have a good night's sleep. The next morning, I'm being brought to on a to awakeness here, but I was in total everlasting, infinite bliss Mm. out of the body. And what started to bring me back to this world was the clanking and water running in the kitchen. Raphael was getting the uh, breakfast ready for the dog we had and the cats. And so so that kind of woke me up and I I always enjoyed that sound. And clink, clink, clink. And then I can hear our dog going, so I just gently come to back to my body more, but I'm still in this total limitless bliss. And then I realized, oh, I have a very important meeting. This man from uh, Israel specifically came to the U.S. and found me, and he set up an appointment to see me in my office in town uh, at 10 o'clock that morning. So I thought, I better get up. So I'm 
it was difficult to get up out of this state. But I did, and I got my both feet on the floor and start to prepare morning stuff to to get dressed and everything, go, you know, go to the shower and everything. And all of a sudden, it was like I was tossed into the the dryer in the laundry machine. I didn't know which way was up. I didn't know what it was. It was like being hit by lightning from the inside and then being tossed in a, a dryer on the outside. And I just didn't know which way was anything. Right around then, Raphael walks into the bedroom and I'm just barely trying to stand stand up straight. And she goes, what's wrong? Are you having a heart attack? Well, when I was in my teens, for three years, I was a nurse, mm-hmm. licensed vocational nurse. And I'm, okay, heart attack. What, what were the, the symptoms? Symptoms. And first I thought of the late person's symptoms that we used to tell, and that's moonlight, moon, many moons ago, right? Mm-hmm. And it was very simple. Now they have much better symptomology. But at that time, <clears throat> we were instructed to tell the patients, oh, does it feel like a, uh, you have an elephant sitting on your chest? You have, you know, and uh, do you have pain coming down, radiating down your left arm? So I'm looking at that. Even in that state, when I thought about, does it feel like an elephant sitting on my chest? Uh, all I could visualize is a big, cartoon pink elephant sitting on my chest and I start laughing and I said no that doesn't feel anything like any kind of elephant on my chest and do I have radiating pain down my left arm and I go no there's no pain down my left arm if anything it's more on the right and this and that but by that point I'm starting to kind of look at what's what am I experiencing and I thought oh this is Somehow the Kundalini just blasted off, mm. which makes sense when I'm waking up from this total blissful, limitless sure. bliss experience. So I tell Raphael, no, I don't think so. Uh, but I would like a healing because, and could you look at, check out my Kundalini? It's all over the place. And uh, she goes, okay. So she goes into the living room and starts to give me a healing I get dressed and everything, and and um, my memory is I just walked into the living room, and for some reason I felt like I really need to go outside. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous day, and um, uh, summer day, and our backyard. There's there's like a main backyard, and then inside the main backyard, there's a raised area that's got the small lawn. And the, I've never seen that patch of grass greener than it was that day. And complete blue sky is just gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous day. And I said, I need to be in the sun. And I need to be on the earth, you know, grass, nature. So I went downstairs from the back while she's giving me the healing. And I got down there and I knelt down on the grass and my body just keeled over. But I wasn't, that wasn't a near death experience, I don't think, mm-hmm. because 
I was still aware of the body, but mostly out by myself out of the body. And as soon as I got out much more, I'm surrounded by a whole ring of 12 masters. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Uh, when you say masters, are you talking about masters that we recognize or you just knew? I knew. I, I've Some of them, a few of them, I didn't instantly recognize, but I, I knew more, most of them by relating with them and communicating with them during you know, my meditations and mm -hmm. other out-of-body experiences I've had. And, and they're all there. And my first thought was, thank God you're here. <laughs> and for some reason, I had this vision of swooping in like Superman to save me, right? Mm -hmm. No, as soon as I said, thank God you're all here, and she, they all recognized, I, I recognized them, they stepped backwards <laughs> away from me <laughs> and at that point i'm thinking of you know jesus on the cross going why have you forsaken me can be. Yeah. <laughs> i said hey wait a minute aren't you here to you know be divine intervention and the message was so clear it's just this is your time to make a very important decision and we can't interfere with that. It's totally your decision to make. And I'm going, okay, any hints about what this decision is about? <laughs> nope, that was the rest of it, total silence. They're there, I could feel their love and support and everything, but they're not gonna interfere. They're not gonna intervene in anything. Okay, so I'm on my own with this, but they said, I have to make a choice. I have to make some kind of decision, and it's most important decision. So I'm going, okay, it's not, you know, what do I want for my birthday? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a very important decision, which means it has to do with life, my life or life in general. And I first thought I have is, well, in most cases, if a person was going through a similar situation as myself, they might be looking at, well, do I want to live or do I want to die kind of a situation? I've already been through that. <laughs> and I don't mind either way. And I already know with total certainty, I'm never going to die anyway. Mm -hmm. It's uh, the body will die, but I, I, I'm not going to die. So that's not a choice for me. And I'm looking at, okay, so what would be a most important choice that I have to make where I am in my awareness about life and especially my life. And I thought I, I really at first couldn't think of what would that be? And then it all of a sudden hit me. The light went on and I just go, oh, even with all my experience of out-of-body experiences, near-death experience, everything else, and I'm not afraid of the physical death anymore, but what 
I still saw myself living from birth to the physical death, yeah, this lifetime. I'm concerned about this lifetime. And I realized I never made a decision about eternal life, the life that never ends, whether you're here or there or anywhere. And I thought, okay, so that's the choice I have to make. Is Am I ready to declare living the eternal life? Am I ready to make that choice of, okay, instead of living from birth to death, and then next chapter after I die, I go on as spirit and then come back and have my next lifetime? Or do I go for the whole thing? Eternal life. Regardless of whether I'm here or out of the body. And when I saw that, it's on the surface, that might seem like a, oh, that's a pretty obvious and simple decision, isn't it? Because we all have eternal life anyway. Mm -hmm. But it's not until you make the conscious choice to have it that you have to live by it. Mm. And so I thought, okay, what would that look like to live by making the choice to live no longer this temporary life, lifetime, but there's no end to this life. Oh, that actually frightened me. And why would eternal life frighten anybody? Well, because I knew instantly, if I decided to own that I live the eternal life while I'm still here, that means I can no longer live a conditional life. I can't place conditions upon what kind of day it's going to be, what mm. kind of health I, I like to have, you know, and you have to, you have to live life as it's handed over to you as it comes. Mm -hmm. No judgments, no mm. getting hung up on how I'm going to solve this problem of this is happening to me. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, Whoa, that's scary. Heavy. heavy. Yeah, that's heavy. Am I ready to, to make that commitment? Because I didn't mind if I physically died. I got that down pat. And But if I came back and what if I'm crippled? What if I'm dysfunctional in some sure. way? What if I'm bedridden? Oh, I'm not ready for that yet. Mm-hmm. But then I saw, saw, well, the writing's on the wall. I already know sooner or later, I have to make this decision. I don't have to make it this lifetime. I don't have to make it next lifetime. I can make it 100 lifetimes from now. But it's, I have to make it sometime because it's about eternal life. Mm. So I thought, okay. I might as well make it now. I've been one like that all my life of, well, if I have to do something sooner or later, I might as well do it now instead of later, right? Right, get it out of the way. Why? Yeah, get it out of the way. Why, why prolong the inevitable? And um, so I thought, okay, I'll make that decision. I will roll with the punches. I'll start to practice really living life without imposing any of my conditions on it. Hmm. And um, I made that decision.
And as soon as I made the decision, everything kind of changed. I was still having this whatever's going on physically. And by that point, I can feel it in my chest. Mm. It felt really heavy. Not like a crushing chest pain, but just heaviness. Like the the suffering of the world kind of heaviness. So I'm now realize, oh, I'm more back in my body to realize, oh, the body is slumped over on the grass with my forehead touching the, the lawn. And yet I'm seeing this verdant green grass, all the leaves of grass right in front of my eyes. And I go, hello, Mother Earth. <laughs> it's just like total Mother Earth is right there as consciousness. And I said, you know, I have this incredible heaviness in my chest and I think I need to let it go. Would it be okay with you if I just let it go into this land, this grass and everything? And she said, very much so. And, and what happened next was this incredible, vibrant green grass opens like a curtain like a velvet, infinite velvet black curtain. And my whole vision in front of me no longer is this green grass. It's this solid, straight, flat, deep, infinite blackness. Mm -hmm. But it's warm and completely inviting. Mm -hmm. So I go, okay, here it goes. And I just totally let go of whatever's I'm holding in my chest. And... I just start to see all the images and the energy of the thousands and thousands of people I've given healings to over many, many years. And even though I was meticulous at cleaning my space out and energy after each healing, because I didn't want to carry what I took on from other people, you know, mm -hmm. into my personal life. So I trained on that level and everything, and I practiced it all the time. Yet, you know, you're not aware of everything. So whatever you unconsciously resist, it tends, tends to stick. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So I realized, oh, this is over all these decades of healing people little bits and pieces that I didn't get to. And I'm too busy and go on to the yeah, next one. That yeah. makes sense. Piles up. So it, it turns out to be, you know, a pretty good amount. And that's all coming out just like a waterfall. I felt better and better and better. And um, then it's done. And the curtain closes. It's back to green grass again. I said, thank you very much. And I can sit up straight. I thought, wow. How cool is that? And right when I sit up, I hear this male voice behind me, a physical man's voice, and goes, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Tamura. I didn't know you were meditating. And he ran away. That was our new gardener. This is the first time I met him, right? Mm -hmm. And and uh, it wasn't until much, much later on that we, we had a chance to talk about personal stuff. and And he told me, before he became a gardener, he was a licensed paramedic. <laughs> so I'm going, thank you. That was plan B. If Just he in found, case. Yeah. If he found me 
dead or you know unconscious on the on the ground, he would have known exactly what to do. So I thought it's it's always everything is divinely choreographed. Isn't it? It is, isn't it? It's, it's every every little. In fact, now I I'm very certain I I've experienced it many 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 times. Every down to the every last subatomic particle mm-hmm. is part of the choreography. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No because question. we're not the we're not the choreographers as human human beings. Mm-hmm. But it's do you but, but do but do you believe though that our intention our um, our thoughts can yes kind absolutely of absolutely and manipulate because the, the how yeah because how that part works is spirit mm. the totality of spirit is undivided right mm-hmm. it's not part of this world mm. that's why i said it's spirit or god divine choreographer that is behind what happens to right down to the very uh last subatomic particle mm. in the cells of our body and everything but the choreographer works with every little tiny what we consider tiny particles and the hugest you know galaxies in concert mm. okay they don't leave anything out but they don't they're not the ones to say this is how it's going to be. It, that's up to us. Up yeah. to those who are in this world, making decisions, having intentions, ask, praying, asking for stuff, whatever it is. And every level of everything, even those things that we seek unconsciously. Oh, I don't want to see that person, you know, like that. But you're not really thinking about that. All that comes into play, Michael. It uh, those two experiences are pretty intense. Uh, but now I want to bring you back to the cliffhanger of the beginning oh, yes. of our conversation <laughs> for everyone who is still with us and wants to know what has happened very recently in your life. So last last we left our hero at the uh, at the at the at cliff the, at the cliff dangling <laughs> while the man in the mustache twirled his mustache and the train is coming for the girl. No, um, the last we spoke, you were talking to the doctors. You were about to be transferred over to a better hospital who could better treat you. And you ask, what do I have? And they, and then that's where we left off. So yeah. can you talk just a little bit about what's going on now and how this is different from the stories you just told? Yeah. Well, I've had, Seven near-death experiences altogether. Oh, Jesus. So we, I, We'll need multiple episodes for that. <laughs> so that's kind of a little backstory to this new experience at the beginning of this year. And, and um, when they transfer, transported me in an ambulance to this new hospital, I guess when the paramedics bring you in in, in an ambulance, they have to go through the emergency room. Mm-hmm even though I didn't stop there. And they're they're going, oh yeah, we got to take him to the fourth floor. Well, I've never been to that hospital. I don't know what's what's on the fourth floor, but I, okay. So we're going up the elevator, come out the hallway. We're, I'm being rolled on this gurney. So all I could see is kind of up above. 
And they open the double doors, big double doors, and they're pushing me through there. And I look up right in time to see huge sign on top of the door saying oncology. Mm -hmm. And I go, oncology? Uh-oh. I mean, cancer is the last thing that was on my mind. Right. You know, I could have had, since I've had weird situations, uh, medically speaking, most of my life, I, I could have expected anything, Hartley, but cancer was not anywhere near the top of the list. Not mm. even close. I never even thought of it. But I've worked with, I'd say, uh, quite a few hundreds, couple, maybe a couple hundred people over the years when I was doing private sessions who had cancer of some sort. So I go, okay, that seems strange, but well. And then I'm being still rolled through this whole hallway. Oh, maybe I'm going the other out of this oncology ward to a different ward, the next one. Sure enough, they come to this next double doors. And I didn't understand what the sign said. It just said BMT in big letters. I don't know what that stands for. So they pushed me in through there, but I can tell, oh, this is just a subdivision of the oncology ward still. It's not a separate one. But it's a lot more elite, <laughs> a lot more specific. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought, and it's a much smaller uh, place, but about 10 times cleaner than any other part of the hospital. So I thought, okay, well, at least it's really clean. And I get wheeled into the first available room to the left, and it's a private room. I thought, so I'm thinking, well, at least if I'm going to die, <laughs> I'm going to be in a private room instead of, you know, people throwing up and stuff all over me. So I go, okay, there, that's looking at the brighter side of things. They dump me off there. Nobody tells me anything yet. <laughs> and uh, then later on, the doctor shows up. And I can tell he's a big wig because he's got interns and residents and other people following him with clipboards and everything, uh, waiting on his every word. So I thought, okay. And he says, yes. I mean, there's very little introduction or anything. He goes right to the point. He says, yes. Uh, yeah, we, we know you have uh, definitely leukemia. And I'm going, God, even if I had cancer, that's not, that's about the last type of cancer I would have thought of. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's interesting. And he says, but we don't know yet what kind of leukemia. There's several different kinds. Makes a huge difference which kind you have. But we'll know that after the biopsy today and, and then we'll, I'll, I'll know the results by tomorrow morning. So, so your actual diagnosis has to wait until then. I said, okay, that's fine. So I am in the oncology ward. They mm -hmm. don't know what kind of leukemia I have, so, but I'm sure this is kind of have to do with leukemia in this particular wing. And um, the next morning he comes by on his rounds at seven o'clock or something. And he goes, you have AML. That's the only thing I ever knew about leukemia. <laughs> I don't know any other type of leukemia or anything, but AML, somewhere I knew, oh yeah, isn't that the most aggressive form of leukemia you can have? 
And he says, yes. And I said, okay. My first kind of reaction to that was surprising. It was like, there have been times in my life where since I work with so many people with different kinds of cancers, I, what would that be like? You know, some people handled it really well. Other people didn't. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And I tried to imagine what is it like for a person who gets, especially initially when the doctor comes, okay, you have cancer and whatever. And I just thought, I don't know. I'm not sure. I probably feel like I'd rather have something else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like if a, I have to, like a cold, <laughs> yeah, if I have to have some kind of disease or illness or condition, I'd, I'd rather have something else <laughs> because I've seen so much suffering, right? You know, with that. But when he told me, not only do I have leukemia, but it's the most aggressive form, and I didn't know at that time what the life expectancy or anything is, but even then, after the blood transfusions and everything. I'm still feeling like, well, I'm at death's door. And that might explain that it's, this is the most aggressive form. And and all I knew is whoever has this, if it's not treated early on, there's not a whole chance of lasting very long. So by the way I felt, I thought, yeah, I may be pretty far along with this thing. So I said, so that's the most aggressive form, right? And he says, that's correct. I says, okay. So right there and then he said, do you want to know your, you know, options? And I said, yeah. He says, because, because you have this, we have to, you have to make a decision basically by first thing tomorrow morning, how you want to proceed. And he gave me four options. One, uh, well, he started with the option with the most uh, chance of survival. I mean, at this level, they're not talking about healing or cure or anything. It's what, what, how can you last the longest? And he says, but considering your age and your pre-existing heart conditions and everything else, that form of chemotherapy uh, he says, I, in all my years of experience, I don't think you're going to survive the first half of the first week. So he says, it's not something I would recommend at all. Mm -hmm. I says, okay, because I didn't want to do that. <laughs> anyway. Sure. So then he said, the second option, which is the only other option I have for you, is a lighter version of chemo. And you have five straight days of it at the beginning of every month. And then the rest of the month, you're you're on these one particular medication, especially, and a couple others as a preventative. And uh says that will give you probably the best chance for possibility of remission eventually. But it's something you probably are gonna have to do for the rest of your life. I thought, wow. Chemo I mean, every month? Yeah. Oh, good Five Lord. days a month for every month. And I thought, 
who could survive that? Probably. So anyway, and at that point, I'm only really thinking in terms of from the ER, I'm already thinking about, you know, next steps for me. What would I do? And so I've pretty much relegated myself to, okay, I would like to have at least a couple, three months so I can get the worldly affairs in order, you know, so I can help my wife prepare for what's coming because mm -hmm. it's, it's, and that's when I noticed, oh, this is not like any near death experience I've had. That's when I finally, I realized, whoa, all my near death experiences, I didn't find out about my death until I came back. Other people told me about it, what happened right. on this side. This one, I'm facing it square on, moving forward to it. That's an entirely different experience because for me, when you're no longer afraid of physical death, that part, I, I'm practically welcoming it. Mm -hmm. And especially because I felt, I knew that not only did the masters tell me when I had the first near-death experience, but I already knew in my heart of hearts, I'm done here. I've been done. Yeah. But the longer I could be here, I could do more. And as long as what I'm doing is benefiting somebody, I'm willing to stick around, you know, and uh, make the most out of it. Because I also already knew from what they told me that being here is more of more benefit. Sure. So I thought, okay, so I might as well stick it out as long as I'm functional and able to benefit in some way. So then... I'm thinking, yeah, I'd like to have at least two or three months to prepare not only my family, my sons, and Raphael, which is a big thing because we got, you know, finances and the house and everything. Sure. And uh, if I go, the income's going to be cut down to practically a very small percentage. So do we move? Do we sell the house now? And at that point, I'm going, I, I would be absolutely zilch on that department because I can't function at that level, right? Physically. And, oh, yeah, my sons aren't, aren't going to be happy to hear this news, <laughs> right? So I got to give them some time to kind of, they'll, maybe they'll never get used to the idea, but at least it's not like, okay, wham, bam. I'm dead in two weeks or three weeks. So I need some little time to get them really prepared in terms of, okay, this is real, you guys, you know, I'm not going to be here forever. And that's easy to say to people and people go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, none of us is going to be here forever. But especially when they love you and respect you and care about you and they're not going to want to, really even think about what are we going to do when he goes right how are we going to handle the what do you call it the backlash or the you know sure. consequence of that in their lives so i thought they're going to need some more time and i need to communicate on that specific level with them for a while and uh so i thought i could 
if I had two to three months, I could make that happen. But I'm not thinking the two to three months have to be where I'm functional. Mm -hmm. I can actually communicate with people face to face. So then he tells me, okay, so what's the other options? And he says, well, the two other options is basically to go home and die. Jesus. You know, and and he says the the first is you know is just straight. You get discharged from the hospital, no treatments, no medication, nothing, and we'll set you up with hospice, you know, and all that stuff and and palliative care so that you know, try to keep you out of as much pain as possible and blah, blah, blah. Make it easier to go. I said, okay. And then he says, the second better option is you still go home and we're not going to really set you up with treatments per se, but you get blood transfusions as needed because the thing about leukemia and especially this form is you have so little red blood cells, practically no white blood cells. If the the cancer doesn't kill you, well, all the other things that can happen because you're just totally unprotected. You have no immune system to speak of. So by giving you uh, periodic transfusions, you're going to maybe be able to last at most two to three months. This is what this is like a couple months ago at this point. uh, This was January, so three three months, two and a half months ago. Okay. And so, uh, oh yeah, I'm getting close to. But I I've had blood transfusions and I've had uh, this the second option that he gave me, which was his recommendation, was what I call chemo light. (laughs) Right. So you have been doing some chemo. (laughs) Yes, I, I I've. The they gave me the first uh, five day chemo by IV while I was still in the hospital. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And as soon as I finished the the fifth day, they discharged me from the hospital because I didn't have any insurance at that. I mean, oh, this is this is another part of the whole uh, thing that we had to deal with is I've had insurance from the same insurance company, big insurance company, since my mid-20s, continuously. No lapses of payment or anything mm-hmm. until they uh, wrote to Raphael and said, and because Raphael was on that same policy again with me. And they said, well, you guys were grandfathered in to the policy you're on that we discontinued, you know, a few years, years ago. ago. <laughs> and, um, but out of the kindness of our heart, we kept you on, <laughs> even though we doubled your insurance costs and everything. Um, uh, but we decided we can no longer do that. So as of December 31st of 2022, we're discontinuing completely. That policy is not going to exist anymore. 
And they so, give you an option for a new one? Well, they sent that notice to our accountants, our past former accountants who are down in Los Angeles. And we're up in Northern California. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> Raphael didn't get it in time. And when she got it, we were in the middle of the most busiest part of our work in Christmas, uh, New Year's mm -hmm. time period. So she, uh, and she tried to do something about it January 1st, but she couldn't, you know, nobody's open. And so she had to wait until January 3rd to call them and said, this is urgent. You cut us off on December 31st. And, uh, my husband has a pre-existing condition, everything. So we shouldn't be off of, you know, what do I do to get back onto the new policy? And they said, oh yeah, we'll be happy to sell you the new policy. So they sold us the new policy right away. And then a few days, uh, the next day, she gets an email saying, yes, and you're, you've been fully approved for this new policy. Much better. You think, you know, we think we'll, you'll really like it. Uh, and it will become effective February 1st, next month. Mm -hmm. When did I end up in the ER? January 5th. <laughs> I'm in the hospital from then to the 10th or no, to the 13th. So in other words, now you also have financial issues you got to think about. Yeah, uh, there was right there just in those nine oh. days. Over 200, about a quarter of a million dollars of medical bills. So oh, here's Michael. here's the most amazing part. The real miracle of this whole thing is all those years when I gave private healings to people, and I had so many who happened to have cancer of some sort, I looked at it and says, well, they're all very different, all kinds of, you know, you don't do the same thing with every healing and all that. What's what's the common denominator here? There has to be one. Because, you know, cancer could happen to trees even. Mm. It's not limited. You know, we know it happens to animals, but it's not limited to animals and humans. It's, it's all anything mm -hmm. alive can have cancer. And so then I'm going... Oh, I finally saw the the dots amongst all these people. Every single one of them, I saw that the cancer was a community illness that manifests or expresses itself in an individual. Mm. And then that made a lot of sense to me because pretty much 90, 99% of everybody I helped on, in the healing end of cancer, we're all healers of some sort. Hmm. And those are the last people you'd think who would end up with cancer. You know, cancer come, happens to people who are really mean and nasty and angry and da 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 da. Sure, sure, sure. But no, the, at least the ones I, ones who came to me for help, all healers. So, how does a healer? Why is cancer so prevalent amongst givers mm. in society, in, in life? Because as a healer, 
one of the greatest traps or downfalls is we have this tendency we care so much about people right and we we want to see their suffering go away that um, even unconsciously even though we might not do this consciously unconsciously we have a tendency to take on here it's it's like if you see a uh, a frail person trying to carry around four suitcases and having a hard time it'd be only natural for an able-bodied person to just go oh here let me help you right how far are you going so that in that kind of consciousness there's a tendency for healers to to take on some of what they want to heal then if you are very aware on a spiritual level and you've worked out pretty much all your or most of your personal karma and you still have lots of time here or life there's a tendency for us to take on a larger collective karma of whole communities or even global whole mm. world or a whole race it depends on that healer's orientation and preference and what they what cause they want to choose so to speak right so that's that's why the cancer shows up in the healer especially a healer who understands the value of community whether it's a community of a single little family or the whole world. So, Michael, I have to ask you now, um, what is the prognosis, my friend? Like, where are we Where are we going with this? I mean, you do have certain abilities, Michael. You Have you asked? Like, hey, can you tell me exactly the date, please? <laughs> yes. Well, I'm not interested in the date. I just, I'm like always i'm living day by day to sure. you know but why i told this story about the community illness showing up in an individual the miracle so already in my life is i told you about the insurance debacle sure, 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 sure. and um raphael mentioned it in one of her posts to let people know what's going on with me and what's going kind of on with us it just financial aid start pouring in oh, just from all over the world it's oh. just phenomenal and so that definitely uh helped us continue that's what allowed Raphael to cancel all my appointments and all my teaching uh, or not cancel but to be no you know uh to be uh, announced later to see if I could even teach and uh, that's why this is the first interview I'm giving ever since. Oh my! Everything God. else got canceled. And yeah, when you told me that that they, that you canceled your whole year basically, and you the the only thing you left on the on the calendar was me. Yeah, I was extremely humbled uh, by that, Michael. Um, because I know, like I mentioned to you, maybe it was in our private yeah uh, time before we went on the air last time that you are only getting started with this thing that you're doing. Mm. It's going to go big. Mm. And it's been happening, correct? 
yeah. it's it's grown a bit since last yeah. time we spoke. <laughs> I think I think when we spoke, I had like fifteen hundred, two thousand subscribers, and now we're pushing one hundred twenty-two thousand uh, and reaching <laughs> over three million people a month with our yeah. videos and interviews. It's, so it's it's growing so fast, Michael. Yep. I can't. And this year is really kind of the beginning for you. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Yeah. Yep. It's it's going to get bigger because you're offering people what so many around the world are seeking. Yeah. And they're ready to have it. See, people have been seeking forever. Sure. But now things are moving so much faster. People are able to receive what they're seeking. See, seeking is no problem. But if you can't have what you're seeking, then it's not going to happen. So the receiver has to be prepared. As they say, uh, what is it? When the student is ready, the teacher magically appears. Sure. What does that mean? That means... Uh, it's what Jesus, how Jesus put it, was those who can have, more shall be given to. But those who can't have, even what they, the little they have will be taken away. Mm. So I call that havingness. It's, it's the ability or the capacity to receive. And what, what compromises our ability to, to receive is how we see ourselves. If we see ourselves as tiny and insignificant and lacking and you know all that we're not going to go embrace somebody dumping a whole lot of whatever we can't have in our lap in fact this is uh, another thing that every healer i've ever communicated with or saw has had to learn this lesson and some healers never learn it but <laughs> it takes a long time for a healer, a giver to learn this because they want to give it all. <laughs> if this person needs it and they have what they need and, you know, on, on where healer can see, this is exactly, whether it's on a physical level, you need vitamin C or whatever it is, they want to give it to that person. But so they don't check to see how much can this person actually have? How much are they ready right now to receive? And if you give a person even a simple, hello, it's a nice day today, isn't it? And they can't have it. Mm. You'll get shut out, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, Fair like enough. you see, say hello to a passerby and they just give you the cold shoulder. Mm -hmm. But in a more intimate relationship, if the person who's, the bigger giver in that relationship starts to notice, oh, my partner or my person who I'm relating to is suffering, has is in pain or is angry, unhappy. And they see, oh, they just need this. Mm. And what this is ultimately, when it's really boils down to the ultimate, is, is love. Mm -hmm. And the person who has the most love to offer and they have so much of it 
they can't give it away fast enough, right? They offer that love, but if that person on the other end can't receive it, there's too much pain. Mm -hmm. So love is the most powerful healing force. And when that healing force affects that pain they're holding on to and protecting from everything else, it's going to hurt and that person's going to re in misinterpret it as, no, what you're doing is too painful. What you're doing is giving me more pain and I can't handle it. Right. And at first they just get a little uncomfortable, but if you the healer persists and keeps on trying to give him more and more and more, that other person's going to literally hate you and will start to attack you. Sure. So, so many healers have to go through that many, many times in some form before they realize, wait a minute, maybe giving love, you have to be more like a, uh, what do you call it? A pharmacist. <laughs> dosage. Yeah. Yeah. Dosage. Well, it's, he, it, it, it's like very similar to somebody who wins the lottery and they get all of a sudden, you know, there's that one guy who just won $2 billion. I think he took home a billion. Oh, he just went God. out and bought a $25 million house in Los Angeles. Um, there's very few human beings on the planet that can handle a billion dollars. Exactly. And literally just the management, the ego, the responsibility, all of it. It, you know, but there's others who like, you know, you give, uh, you know, an Elon Musk a billion dollars. He's like, okay. And he's fine because he's been dealing with that kind of money for a long time. Yes. But that's the same concept. Like you, you yes. Know, you, that's why most lottery winners lose all their money within five years. They can't receive that much because they just can't handle it mentally, yep. uh, yeah. physically, spiritually. They just, you know, they just can't deal with it. So I agree. I understand what you're saying. Yep. Well, Michael, I have to ask you because this is such an important conversation, Michael. And I, and I mean, from the bottom of my heart, I really do appreciate that you are spending this time with us. Um, and I really do hope it does help others around the world. And I get many um, messages from people who listen to the show who are diagnosed with something mm. terminal, mm -hmm. um, who look to these episodes to make them feel more comfortable with what's coming. Yes. Do you have any message or any any words for people like that? And also for people who are dealing with their loved ones going through this? Yes. For the loved ones, sometimes I feel it's even more difficult for the loved ones because they're staying, right? At least for a little while. And they're the ones who have to pick up the pieces of even a person who considers themselves not that important. When they die, oh, it's, it's going to impact at least a few people. But it's going to impact a lot more than how many people they think they're going to impact because everybody's related to everybody else in that sense. And there's kind of a ripple effect. So when we're dealing with any kind of dying process, whether it's a medical diagnosis saying, okay, you got so many days to live or whatever, or it's a divorce. That's a dying process. Any kind of process where one person feels 
that they're losing something significant, something very important to them in their lives, and it gets taken away from, seemingly gets taken away from them, that loss is the, the hardest part of facing death. Facing and and I'm going to broaden that to not just physical death. That's just one thing that everybody associates with dying. But here, there's no dying in spirit. Right. No such thing. So dying is only an experience that someone has here when they're incarnated in this world. And in a sense. Uh, when we're living every day of our lives, we have to learn to die correctly because dying is a decision we make on relationship. Every single relationship, however important or deep or superficial a relationship is, if you really look around in your life, anybody listening to this, You'll find everything, all your experiences is a result of some sort of relationship, you relating to something. You could be relating to just energy, or you could relate to a person or an organization or a whole country or whatever it is, but you're just relating to something. And it's in how you relate to everything you experience in life starts to shape your path of where you're headed. And the practice of learning to die correctly, that's what put me on this path I've been on ever since I was a month before I turned 21. My teacher said, you know, we all have a choice in how we wish to die. And that struck me right between the eyes because I knew, I always knew we have a choice in how we wish to live. But that's the first time anybody told me we have a choice in how to die. We can choose. And then he clarified himself a little bit more. He says, you could choose to die in pain and suffering as many people unconsciously do. Mm. Or you can choose to die in love, in a state of a loving state of mind, and at peace with yourself, you have whatever choice you like to make. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And at that moment, that was so profound for me that I instantly, I said, no brainer. I choose to die right now. I'm going to choose to die in a state of love, in, in love, and at peace with myself. So from that moment, it set my path for the whole lifetime. And I've been practicing every day dying. And sometimes I got it right. <laughs> and I go, whoa, that, that's definitely a good way to die. And so, other times it, it didn't work. So then for those who are dealing with this at this moment in their life, yes. this is something like that is coming down the pike soon. Um, what advice do you have for them? 
choose wisely, which means wisdom is the product of you, what you've learned in living your life. It's not from books and, you know, teachers or anything like that. It's, it's from within you, what you've distilled from your life experiences. That's what wisdom is, which means for you to choose wisely, you have to be yourself. You can't try to be better than who you think you are. You have to be able to accept you with all the, you know, greatness and all the warts and everything else. It's just learning to accept yourself as you are already. Because what's going to bring you to that place of total peace and total joyousness here and there after life and everything like that is be returning to this undivided state of who you truly are. And to get there, you can't be reinventing yourself all the time. You, you can't be making trying to make yourself better in the image of what everybody else says you should be. You have to learn to go, okay, whether it's true or not, this is how I feel like I am. Can I accept myself that way? I, I might be in the firm belief that I made a terrible mistake 40 years ago. And I've been paying for it ever since. Yes, can you accept that? That's 40 years ago. Or do you want to drag it through another however much time you have left here? Mm -hmm. So, So the ultimate level of preparing yourself to die in love and at peace with yourself requires this thing people generally tend to call forgiveness. And forgiveness isn't something you do to yourself or do to somebody else. Like people think I'm going to forgive you because I'm the bigger person. <laughs> That's not forgiveness. That's one. It's, it's a leg over. It's, you know, competition. For real forgiveness is just seeking the truth of the matter. And when you do, it'll set you free. Yeah. Every time you come to the truth, it's like you see, well, the saying goes, you see the light. Where there's light, there can't be any darkness because in spirit, in your real life, there is no darkness. It's only limitless, timeless eternity. Only beingness and awareness and the experience of what life really is which is in the old days and in, in the vedic uh, uh seers and stuff they called it bliss which is not a thing you attain it's a part of you this what i like to use the term joy because it's much more common use but no word can possibly even come close to encompassing the experience of life itself and you are that life right it's not only can you not die but you are the life and so remember no matter what kind of situation you're in you have to remember you're there's no life without you here in this world the world is dead 
until you come in. Just like the body, when you leave the body, physical body, then we call the body what's left. Oh, that body is a corpse. It's, it's dead. But as long as you're here, as long as you even have one finger of you as spirit in the body, the heart keeps beating or the brain has activity. Once you pull out all the way, it all ceases. So what we call the experience of dying here in this world is limited to this world. And what we have to learn as immortal souls, as, as limitless spirit, while we're in this world, because we don't need to learn it in spirit. It's only in this world that we have a tendency to forget it because this world is so opposite to the experience of spirit right. because this world is created and based on twoness, on duality. division, duality, yeah. duality, polarity, dichotomies. So if you look at your life, everything is based on two, you and something else. That's why we have to have a relationship. And through many different kinds of relationships and learning to forgive, because what do you ever hold on to? Stuff that happens in your relationship with, you know, anything, <laughs> even with government or something, and you hold it against them because they hurt you, they did it to you, they stole from you, they betrayed you, all those kinds of things. And if you're human, you're going to go through all those things. Right. And people think that the moment you're enlightened as an enlightened being, those things cease in the world. No, they don't cease in the world. The world can only be here according to those dichotomies and dualities and polarities. Without the polarities, it, the world doesn't exist. And so, but you will. Mm -hmm. But your job and, and this whole process of dying is the ultimate final exam here in this world is realizing, oh, this is the world. No matter how much I'd rather not have nighttime in this world, well, I, I kind of thought if you stay on an airplane and go around. Or go to Alaska, uh, there's like, you know, yeah, less, 250, less, 250 days of light or something like that. Yeah, whatever it is. and But still, there's going to be a, a certain point, correct. Yeah, so you can't expect your body to not have ups and downs of experiences because it's all always oscillating between two polarities but once you realize oh you can accept yourself as who you are you can forgive yourself for making mistake what you thought was a mistake just remember oh those everything you've ever held on to is past it's already done been there done that mm -hmm. so drop it let it go and and then what's important isn't not how horrible of a life you had up to now what's important is oh what would you like to experience next that's when you have to trust your own internal intrinsic creative power you're made out of this creative power we call that life. You're the life of the party. 
So let the party begin. Even if you're dying, even if you're in experiencing pain, don't let that get you down. Yeah, My, Michael. Uh... We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. <laughs> this conversation is, uh, I think, divine in many ways, my friend. Um, you and I are just players in this, in this, in this little play. That, yes, that is going on right now. This is much bigger than either you or I. Um, and hopefully, that the message of this conversation will hit uh, millions of people around the world who need to hear it. Um, because it's so powerful. I can't even begin to thank you for this conversation, Michael, and um, for the light that you bring and have brought to this earth um, throughout your life. But every time you and I have spoken, people always mention the ball of energy, the ball of light that you are, the laugh that you have, um, and that you are walking into this stage of your life in the manner that you are is an inspiration to so many people watching. So Michael, I, again, can't even begin to thank you. Um, I will ask the question if, if somebody wants to reach out to you or find out more about you and the work that you have done and are continuing to do, where can they find you, my friend? Uh, we still have our website, michaeltamura.com. Mm -hmm. And Tamura is T as in Tom, A, M as in Mary, U-R-A.com, michaeltamura.com. And uh, our whatever I do and things coming up right now, the it might say uh, postponed or to be rescheduled or whatever, because mm -hmm. um, I've stepped out of everything and I'm starting to bring it back from my advanced classes. Mm -hmm. I've taught two already. Okay. So, and I'm playing up by year, and I I did all right teaching two two hour Zoom classes mm -hmm. to about 130 people, and so since I survived that, <laughs> and and obviously this conversation as well, yeah, and and this is the first interview I'm doing, uh, and um, it's I'm fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to rest look, after this. You look fine. You've, yep. You you look like you have a ball of energy, my friend. I, I mean, nobody that's the life. Know. Yeah, that's no the life. Knows. And and the the condition is bodily condition. Yeah, mm -hmm. but using our mind correctly changes the bodily condition because ask and you shall receive. God mm -hmm. gives everything. And so whatever you ask for, well, it's going to come, come to you. Michael, thank you again so much for this, uh, for this amazing conversation. And I'm humbled and, and blessed that you chose our show to have this conversation to help people around the world. Um, and I, I said this before um, on the show, I think the first time we spoke, but when I was starting out, you sent me a copy of your book. Mm. I've never forgotten that, Michael. And in the book, there was this dedication, which was this long paragraph. And in that paragraph, Michael basically laid out what is happening to me now and where the show and where I'm going to be going in the future. And 
it touched me in such a way when you wrote that because I didn't know you. You didn't know me. And and you were like, no, I've known you forever. I just said, oh, there's Alex. <laughs> uh, sure, I'll do your show. Of course, I know you. And and then when I reached back out to do this, uh, to this conversation, which I was not expecting this conversation. I was expecting a, a simple near-death experience conversation. <laughs> Nothing as profound as, as near-death experiences are old hat at this point on the show. But this conversation I was not expecting. And um, again, my friend, thank you so, so much for doing it. And I really do hope it helps people around the world. So I appreciate you. Good health to you and continue the light inside of you to continue to, to help people, my friend. I appreciate you so, so much. And likewise for you, Alex, thank you really for having me on the show. And, and I was very, very happy to make this my show to see if I can do a show. <laughs> thank you, my friend. I want to thank Michael so much for coming on the show and sharing his story with all of us. I wish Michael nothing but the best and a healthy and quick recovery. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, please head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 226. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.